Welcome. Thank you to Mike for leading worship for us. Uh, thanks to all the uh, tech team, prod squad at the back there, who've um, been uh, exercising their ministry this morning for us. And uh, if you're um, at home, tuning in one way or another, uh, hello. And um, as Mike's already said, we're, we're looking at thinking about John the Baptist this morning. Hey, Advent. It's like waiting for Christmas. Uh, but even the waiting is about the arrival, okay? The arrival of Jesus the Christ. And um, it got me to thinking, what kind of a waiter are you? Because, you know, we all fall into one category or the other. Um, maybe you're a dozer. I used to have a friend uh, at Cliff uh, called Frank. He'd been a miner for years and years and years and years. So he waited by dozing. They were great at it. You could say, right, we're going in 10 minutes. And he said, well, I'll go and have a kip. And he, like that, send himself off to sleep. And in 10 minutes' time, he'd wake up. Because he'd been so used to working shifts and nights and what have you, that he conditioned his body. He slept through many, you'll not mind me telling you this, he slept through many a private study session where we were supposed to be doing his own work. Uh, and then at 9 o'clock, he'd wake up and he'd be at 5 past 9, he'd be out ready to go for a run with us. Um, a great bloke, Frank. Or maybe you're a faffer. Well, maybe you might not recognise yourself as a faffer, but you might recognise somebody else as a faffer. That when they're waiting, they're fussing, they're, they're always flitting around, they're finding little jobs to do, and, and um, usually you end up being late because they're halfway through a job uh, when it's time to move on. Or maybe you're not quite severe as that, and you're a twiddler, and you wait by, you're twiddling your thumbs, and you're... You know, or maybe um, you're a tapper. Um, I, I can remember in my uh, RE class uh, uh, in school, uh, there were three drummers in the class, and we were all tappers. And uh, any moment of silence, uh, any any anything where the lesson didn't kind of flow uh, and keep going, and uh, kind of anything where there weren't any input, you could after about a minute you, you start to. Hear, And then somebody else would pick it up, and before long there were t- there were a trio of uh, drummers kind of tapping away there, and uh, an RE teacher pulling her hair out. Well, John the Baptist kind of gets launched into a period of waiting, a period of waiting, and he, he kind of gets towards the end of it, and, and it's, he's kind of announcing the end is coming, not the end of time, but the end of a period of waiting, because Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to launch into his, mystery, into his ministry. John the Baptist has a particular place in my heart because I was John the Baptist. Not way back then, way back then, just way back then. When I was eight, or maybe nine, uh, our school, uh, we had a drama club and we put on a, 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 a performance called Just a Man, which was um, looking back... Um, not particularly biblically based, more probably based on Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, but I got the job of John the Baptist, and you know that hair? I had it, <laughs> but not the beard. Our times changed, now I've got the beard and not the hair. Uh, but anyway, uh, and I fluffed my lines on the first, first night, can you believe it? Yeah, I fluffed my lines on the first night. Um, for some reason, John the Baptist in this thing, he, he had a donkey. 
He had a bucket, that was the prop, we couldn't afford a donkey so we got a bucket and the way that uh, Mr Moore, the uh, the drama uh, teacher, worked it in with that um, there was a line that said um, it's for his drinking water stupid and um, for some reason the first night that line stuck in my mind so that when Jesus came and asked me a polite question I turned around and said to him, it's for his drinking water stupid I've never seen Jesus lost for words <laughs> Stephen Lawrence were that night but enough about that. Um, t- today we're going to look at John the Baptist, his mission, the missiology, and his ministry, or if you want to put it another way, actually, the man. So his mission, that's what job is to be done, what job he had to do. And he got a job description, he got it from Isaiah 40, which we've already looked at, and from uh, Malachi 3.1. And it's all centred around getting awaiting people ready for Jesus. Prepare a way for the Lord. And last week, Gary uh, touched on, on the kind of the personal preparation that within each one of our lives, uh, preparing a way for the Lord in our lives. But this week, we're going to look more at the broader um, application of that uh, as it applied to John. So John had to get this nation ready for Jesus. He had to raise the temperature. He had to channel the expectation of the coming Messiah. He had to focus the, the, the nation's attention onto Jesus. And there were several steps that the nation had to take towards salvation for this to happen. Uh, they had to repent. And they had to be baptized for the uh, forgiveness of sin, for the forgiveness of their rebellion against God. Now the repenting, it's about a change of mind, it's about a turning, it's about saying, right, this way isn't working, so I'm going to do another way. And part of what the people had to do was change their mind and turn from the futility of their own efforts. I've got a couple of shaggy jo- uh, dog. Uh, Ronnie Barker style for you tonight. Ronnie Barker? Ronnie Corbett style for you uh, tonight. Uh, this morning. Whatever time it is. Uh, that's the thing about YouTube. You could be watching it any time, couldn't you? Um, one dark stormy night, a ship is out on the ocean and it gets wrecked. And an exhausted passenger clings onto this highly polished object made out of wood. As the waves rise and fall, they rise and they crash over him and he hangs on for dear life onto this highly polished wooden object. And out of the darkness, a lifeboat appears, full of fishermen's friends. And a strong arm reaches down and grabs this passenger and a voice calls out above the howling wind, It's okay, I've got you, you're safe. Come into the boat. But you'll have to leave that grand piano behind. And in a way, that was John's message. Leave the grand piano behind. It won't save you. But the life oak man, the coming Messiah, he will. I have a guilty pleasure. Well, probably got several, but the one I'm going to tell you about is American reality TV programs about dirty, sweaty men. Like swamp loggers. 
and axemen. Where a huge area of forest has been uh, set aside to be felled uh, and, and taken out, um, turned into paper or turned into timber or whatever. And uh, it's done by a, a, an elite team uh, of workmen, an elite team of loggers that uh, have got great skill, uh, great technique, great character and some amazing machinery. But before these superstars, the rock stars of the um, logging world can move in and do their thing, a team has to prepare a way from the nearest road to the site so that all the machinery can be moved in and all the timber can be taken out. They literally have to prepare a way. They're not the rock stars, they're not the superstars. They're the grafters that just get the job done. No road, no felling, no felling, no harvest, no harvest, no pay. John the Baptist says, hey, get ready. Get ready, he's coming. That's all very interesting, but what about us? What about us? Who are the waiting nation? Who are the waiting people? that we need to prepare a way of the Lord for? Who is God calling us to prepare a way for him for? You know, in our interaction, in our um, whatever way that might be in these weird times, we will meet with people that need um, a bump, if you like, a bump in the understanding, or so a bump of misunderstanding, if you like, about God leveling out. Or we need some voids, some, some roots or some, uh, some dips in knowledge, in um, information about God filling in. I wonder who is God putting us alongside? to perform that function, to prepare that way for what he's going to do next. So that's the mission, and we might come back and touch on that again just briefly towards the end. But what about the missiology? That's how we do the job. That's how the job gets done. Shaggy dog, story number two. Mr. Kipling, other bakers are available, as an open day. And only five members of the public turn up. They all get high visibility jackets with numbers on. So that in the register, the number relates to a name. Just as they're about to set off on the, uh, the, the guided tour, uh, there's a phone call for the guide. So he says, look, it's a cake factory. Go and have a wander around. See, see what you can find. See what you can see. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll call you back later. So while he's taking the phone call, these visitors go off and they're wandering around. And uh, he finishes his phone call and he, and he, he sounds the hooter and uh, the visitors come back. And then he lines them up and, hang on, there's something wrong here. There were five and there's only four. So he gets them to, uh, to call the numbers off. He says, start at five please. And five, yep. Four, yep. Three, yep. Two, yep. Oh, we've got to find him. 
We've got to find him. So they go looking all over this factory. And they hear this, this sound. There's a sound coming from the other side of the factory. And they follow the sound. And they follow the sound and they find this big vat. And on the side it says, um, almond slice mixture. And they, they, they peer over the side into this vat and, and there's somebody in it. And just then, Mr. Kipling turns up. And he walks into the factory and the first thing he hears is this noise. And he says to the guide, what's that noise? And the guide says, that's the voice of one calling from the desert. I shouldn't work on my own for so long, should I, really? Yeah. Company might make it better, I don't know. But the reason I tell you that joke, uh, because it's been bugging me for the last fortnight, but also because it highlights the words. Do you notice there's actually a difference between Isaiah's words and Mark's words? Or should I say, there's a difference in the punctuation. Now, the punctuation wouldn't have been there originally in either, okay? But it does make a point. So I'm going to read you the Isaiah one using the punctuation like Miss Mead taught me. It says, um, A voice of one calling. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness the highway for our God. Okay? Let's talk about that first. In Isaiah's original rendering, God's people are in exile. They're lost. They're distanced from him. They're like in a spiritual desert. But there's good news. They've got to get ready. They've got to prepare a way. Because he's coming to you in the desert to rescue you. It's in the desert that the way needs to be prepared. Today, God's rescue mission is no different. It's to all that are in the desert. That's where he is coming to, to rescue them, to rescue us from. A desert of lostness, a desert of loneliness, a desert of isolation, a desert of confusion and desolation, a desert of hardship, a desert of separation from him. In the hard place, in the lonely place, but that's where he'll meet us. He wants us to change our minds and even use some of the things that we maybe use as excuses not to meet him as reasons to meet him. Oh, I'm not good enough for God to bother with. can be turned into, I'm not good enough, I need God to bother with me. In Mark, I'll read you that. Slightly different. I will send my messenger, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. I'll read it again. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Where is the one that's calling? Is in the desert. Who's doing the calling in Mark? Well, it's John. What's being said? Prepare the way of the Lord. Where is it being said? It's being said in the desert. 
And if we carry on reading in Mark, we see that it's in the desert that John performed his ministry. The people went out to the Jordan to meet him. John went and met them in the lonely place, in the hard place. He wasn't an armchair missionary. He's out in the midst of those with need and lostness. And so should we be. And yeah, there's deserts all over the world, you know, war-torn here, there and everywhere. But you know, the desert that God calls you into could be the desert in the room where you sit. Or the desert in the house where you live. Or the desert that's on the end of your drive, or the house next door. Or the street where you live, or the desert in the village where you shop. It could be in the desert that's in your city. It could be the desert that's actually on the end of your phone. Or the other end of a Zoom call, or a team call, or a FaceTime. Wherever the need is, that's where you need to be. That's where we need to be. To work within the mess, not without it. To be near, not distant, just like John the Baptist. So we looked at his mission, his job description, we looked at his missiology, how he did it, he got stuck in, went to where the need was. Now the ministry, or actually as I re-prepared for today, the man. You see, when you read John the Baptist's job description, you think, brilliant, this is a cracker, this. Prepare a way for God. And you know, he was successful. He called, they came. He challenged, they responded. It says that people believed and were baptised. And he didn't do it to one or two, he did it to crowds. A couple of us uh, gathered today near local preachers, and um, I'm sure we've all ex- uh, kind of shared the experience of preaching in churches where you're preaching to uh, steward, organist, if you're lucky, and his dog. And sometimes the organist and the steward are the same person. And as you're there, there's kind of that little niggly, niggly thought crops up. Oh, it'd be love to. It'd be great to preach to hundred people, or a thousand, to a packed room, or maybe on YouTube to say, "Well, how many have subscribed today? How many have watched it since last week?" You know, John the Baptist could have very easily fallen into the trap of making it about him. He could have very easily taken kind of the job description and, and said, well, yeah, I'll prepare a way for God, but I'm going to make sure that uh, I've got a prominent place in it. But actually his job description was to be second fiddle. He could have started a revolution. The crowds were following him. He could have started a movement. He could have ridden a, ridden a, a wave of fame and been someone big. As we prayed earlier, and we'll just get a preview of what we're studying um, this morning, uh, Jane said, it's a shame about John the Baptist, he often gets overlooked by because of Jesus. And he does, and it's right, and that's because he did his job actually really successfully. Even at the height, if you like, of his ministry, when things were going really well, he said, don't look at me, look to the one who comes, because there's one coming better than me, there's one greater than me, 
one more important than me, one that you really need to listen to, really need to respond to, and really need to follow. You know, I don't know, can you imagine a band that aspire to be a support act rather than a headlining act? Or someone who studies violin for years and years and years and they aspire to be second fiddle, not first fiddle. Or a comedian who aspires to be the warm-up act on a TV show for a more famous comedian rather than being having their own show. That's John the Baptist. Someone who would raise the temperature, getting people ready for somebody else. And even if you read, if you read it, he actually says, he invests all of himself into it. Not just his words, but also his, his, his credibility. If you listen to me, you really need to listen to him. All this kudos. Even to the point of saying, look, don't follow me now, follow him. And we who are in ministry, and here's the kicker, that's everybody, need to be like John the Baptist. We need to make it about God, not about us. We need to be kind of looked through rather than looked at. So that others will see Jesus, not us. And even in the way that we use what the, uh, the gifting that God gives us. You know, sometimes we might need to be the people that use our gifts so that somebody else can use theirs and be seen. Tim, have a strop and turn my microphone off. Turn it back on, please, Tim. You see, if Tim doesn't exercise his gifting, my gifting doesn't get heard. Are we prepared in God's kingdom to be second fiddle. To be preparing, are we prepared to prepare for someone else? Are we prepared to point not to ourselves and make it about us, but make it about Jesus? Let's pray.